This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. It's incredible. This story is the best story that I've been involved in for 26 years. Far none, by far, for so many different reasons. You know, when I made that comment about, you know, this story should win an Emmy, and I got laughed at by a lot of people. And I'll say it again today on your, on your show that this story deserves an Emmy, or at least a nomination. You know, we're wrestling, right? We're sports entertainment. You know, we're a joke to a lot of people within the, the Hollywood world. Um, but it's about time that the work that we do in our company is recognized on that level. Uh, we're doing episodic television. We're doing live episodic television, 52 weeks a year. You know, we're not <clears throat> doing a nine episode Last of Us which now goes on hiatus for a year and a half or two years until they do their next nine episodes. We're doing compelling episodic television every single week. So everyone from Paul Levesque to the people on the creative writing team to the superstars slash actors are involved. They all deserve recognition for this because this has been an incredible story that's been going on for almost three years. Think about that, Richard. Three years, that's 52 weeks a year for three years. We have delivered compelling television that hasn't gotten boring, that has had twists and turns that you can put up with against any television show on the planet right now. And people to this day come Sunday night still don't know how this is going to end. They don't. You can make an argument for both Roman Reigns and Cody Rhodes to win that match. on. So we still don't know how it's going to end. And then you look at the players involved. Roman Reigns is operating on a level that I've never seen anyone in the history of the company operate on. From a standpoint of his in-ring work to his acting ability, Paul Heyman is, you know, is a first ballot Hall of Famer, not only in our business, but in entertainment in general. Um, The bloodline, Jimmy and Jey Uso, um, have come out of their shells to become two of the best actors uh, in the world today, uh, Solo Sokoa, the, n- the new part of the family, is playing the stoic enforcer perfectly. You've, then you've got Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, who've been on the peripheral and now are in the, you know, moving into the main event of this bloodline story. Um, and those guys' careers have just taken off to a new level. So everyone that's involved in this program has played their part to an absolute T. And I don't know how you can do it any better. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. The guest this week is Michael Cole and uh, we had a really, really great conversation. Um, this was really just interesting to me. Michael Cole is one of the signature voices of 
WWE. He's worked for that organization since 1997. He will be the lead announcer along with uh, Corey Graves calling WrestleMania 39 this weekend from SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. show will be on April 1st and April 2nd at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, streams exclusively on Peacock in the U.S. and you can get this uh, WWE Network elsewhere. Michael Cole is also the uh, vice president of announcing for WWE. And we get into a lot of things, including how Pat McAfee really rejuvenated, um, I think, Michael Cole's sort of uh, passion for this job and what makes McAfee a really good broadcaster. Michael Cole's had a really fascinating background. He uh, worked for CBS Radio before he got into professional wrestling. He covered three presidential campaigns, including uh, the winning Bill Clinton campaign. So he talks a little bit about uh, that experience. Had a whole different life before he went to WWE. We get into uh, one of the great storylines in the history of his product, The Bloodline, and why he thinks... um, why he thinks there are people uh, who have been part of that storyline who should um, be nominated for a, a television Emmy. And then just a couple of other things just about uh, um, how he procures or at least tries to procure broadcast talent for the future. So Michael Cole of WWE, as we are on the eve of WrestleMania 39, coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, Michael Cole is one of the signature voices of the WWE. He has been with that company since 1997. In addition to um, if you're a uh, WWE fan or consumer, and you've obviously heard Michael's voice for a long, long time, uh, he has a significant role now, hiring, mentoring, uh, producing, announcing talents as the company's vice president of announcing. So it's not just about front-facing for Michael Cole anymore. It's also like the behind-the-scenes in terms of um, figuring out who the next voices are for this company. He is, of course, here because he's part of WrestleMania 39 from SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. That is now a two-night extravaganza. It runs April 1st, April 2nd at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Streams exclusively on Peacock in the U.S., WWE Network elsewhere. And with that aside, I'm now pleased to be joined by Michael Cole, who is live from somewhere in Los Angeles. Michael, it uh, it's very good of you to, uh, to, to come on and do this because I know this is your extremely busy time. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Richard, thank you for having me. Uh, you know, we did this uh, a number of years ago and I, I had a great time at it. And um, I really like your work and I'm glad to be a part of this, especially in what is our Super Bowl week, right? I mean, this is the most important week of the year for us for so many different reasons, um, and uh, I'm excited to get started. It's nice of you to say, Michael. Once again, you've proven you like mediocre work, and that this is why I like you very much. Thank you. <laughs> well, I've been considered mediocre for 26 years. So. <laughs> One of the things, so for The Athletic, um, a couple months ago, I named Pat McAfee as our sports media person of the year. I think rightly so, just given um, – what a remarkable sort of year he had between morphing between ESPN, his own, uh, his own content. Um, he did it uniquely. He did it on his own. He's just a very rare, interesting figure to me in media. And you were one of the people who were kind enough to offer me some thoughts on working with Pat. Uh, the piece was basically from everyone else's perspective, except Pat. I never talked to Pat intentionally. So, and one of the things that stayed with me, and this is where I wanted to start with you, that just was really interesting, and it got picked up in the wrestling trades, was that you said that Pat really rejuvenated you. Like, working with him 
changed something for you. You didn't necessarily say like I would have been done if Pat wasn't there, but it was very clear that like whatever he was bringing to you, it like revitalized you and gave you like uh, some new wind. And I wanted to just, um, from your perspective, why, why, why was that? What, what was it about Pat and what was it about this combination that for you, I don't know, triggered something that, that made the job different? You know, Richard, it's really rare that, especially in media, that you can stay in the same job for as long as I've had, you know, for 26 years on the air every week. Right. Um, and one of the, one of the things I'm most proud of in my career is the ability to adapt and evolve uh, from where we started in 97 to where I am today. And one of those things that I believe have done really well in my career is be able to adapt to whoever my partner's been. And um, over the years, I've had some great ones and, but they all have their own distinct personality. Uh, they all have their own, uh, distinct way of looking at the business. Um, I was able to adapt with them and also help them grow. And many of them, um, I helped become really good announcers. Pat was a different entity. Um, you know, Pat was the first broadcaster that I worked with uh, who wasn't from our world. You know, he was a fan, but he wasn't really an ex-wrestler, despite the fact that he had a couple of matches. You know, he wasn't JBL or Booker T or Jerry Lawler or, or whatnot. And when Pat first came to work for us, the energy was just amazing. Uh, it, it's infectious. Pat has this unique ability of making everyone feel like they're his best friend. Like you're the only person in the room with him. He listens to you. Everything that you want to talk to him about, he listens to. And it makes you feel very relaxed and very calm and very confident around him. Number one. Number two, he's an unbelievable professional broadcaster. But number three, when he sat down next to me for the first time to do SmackDown, I realized instantly that Pat was going to offer this business something that had never been done before. And that was really have a fan in the chair that was being allowed to act like a fan, jump up and down on the desk, you know, dance around, scream and yell, act like all of us would act sitting on a couch in front of a television set watching WrestleMania that, you know, Pat was us. And seeing Pat do that and have the freedom to do that um, allowed me to say, you know what, this doesn't have to be, you know, a serious thing all the time. Like I can lighten up and have fun. And I started to do that a little bit over the year and a half that I worked with Pat, where I was jumping out of my chair and acting like a fan in many moments and screaming and yelling and get involved in the stories very, you know, emotionally. And Pat allowed, allowed me to open myself up and he, he allowed me to be that person. And hey, there's nothing wrong with being a fan, Michael. You've been doing this for 20 six years, be a fan, enjoy the product. And that's what I did. And he really re-energized the way that I look at this business and even not working with him, you know, the past number of months, I've still tried to keep that emotion and that um, entertainment intact uh, going forward. And Pat's really done that for me. Boy, that's fascinating. Um, I want to ask you one more thing about him. And you mentioned that you said he's a gifted broadcaster. My sort of assessment of McAfee is very similar to Charles Barkley in that they they are who they are on air and they're unapologetic about that. And while I have no doubt that there is always going to be a little bit of performative nature because you are on television, Pat has been the way he is in so many forums that it's not fake. At a certain point, you could not keep that up if it was an act in the same way Barkley's kind of comedic ability as well as 
basically kind of like, I'm just going to be me and I don't really fucking care if you like it or not kind of attitude. Like it's very authentic. And so from your perspective, like my perspective on why Pat works is because he is authentic. Like he is uniquely him. And I think as a viewer, you have to appreciate that he's not trying to be anything other than who he is. But you sit next to him. So you have a much kind of different um, view of this than the rest of us. Why has he worked as a broadcaster? You hit the nail on the head, Richard. He's authentic. I mean, the Pat McAfee who sits next to me on Friday nights on SmackDown is the same Pat McAfee who I go have a beer with and watch a football game. Same type of dude, right? He, he doesn't change. Um, and the, the Pat McAfee you see on his show, the Pat McAfee that you see uh, at ringside, the Pat McAfee you see in the ring, he's the same Pat McAfee that he's hanging out, you know, uh, on a Friday night. He, he doesn't change. And to use the old wrestling analogy, the biggest characters in the history of our business are the people who use their personalities and just turn them up a notch. The Rock, Stone Cold, Steve Austin, John Cena, those guys, the people you see in the ring, that's who they are in real life, just turning the volume up to 10. That's who Pat McAfee is. Pat's the same guy, but when he gets behind the camera, he amps it up a little bit, but he doesn't change and he's never changed. And I don't think he will. And that's why he's been successful. Before we go to um, some wrestling specific stuff, uh, the last time I had you on this podcast, Michael, we talked about your uh, background before uh, calling um, a match to the WWE. And so the audience knows, like Michael covered presidential campaigns. He covered uh, civil conflict abroad. He worked for CBS radio. So he had, he had a hard news journalism background prior to joining WWE. It's actually while it makes his life story really fascinating because there's no one who's trust me on this. There's no one who's had that sort of that, that double double <laughs> there. Um, so I, I, I went back and looked Michael at a little bit of your background. And if I have this right, I think you covered three presidential campaigns. What, mm -hmm. what was your most memorable moment as a political reporter covering a presidential campaign? Uh, Bill Clinton's victory in 1992. Um, I was on the, the trail with him for most of uh, 92, spent a lot of time with him and his people. Um, and it was just a, a campaign that, you know, not a lot of people gave him a chance in the beginning of the year. And there was just this groundswell of support. And Clinton was just a lot like us. You know, he was our age and um, he was young. Uh, he was exciting. Uh, he was different. Uh, he was doing things that, you know, the old school politicians had never done before. He was really the first person to use, uh, younger the younger crowd to help you know uh buoy his campaign i mean he was making appearances on mtv he was doing late night television he was the first guy to really do that you know this is this is before social media and before the internet when radio news and television news were very very important and that's how people got their news and it was just really cool to be a part of this but the night that he won which i think was the culmination of you know, years of building to that point, especially for him and never realizing he had a chance to, until the last couple of months be heading into the convention. I think that was really the biggest moment of any of the campaigns that I covered. It's interesting. Do you, um, this is two-parter here. How much political reporting do you watch today? And if you watch it at all, you must, given that you covered um, political campaigns in the late 80s, early 90s, you must just sort of like think that this is from like another solar system because political reporters today are literally working in a 24-7 environment where they have to like tweet whatever they just learned, like before even perhaps like sitting down and doing some kind of longer, thoughtful reporting. Like it's just the era that you covered this stuff in, it literally might as well like be like horse and buggy compared to like what exists today. 
Well, it was. I mean, <laughs> you'd cover a rally in Tyler, Texas, and have to walk over to a payphone <laughs> <laughs> and, and unscrew the, the the bottom of the receiver and hook alligator clips into your cassette recorder to play a bite back, and then talk into the talk into the telephone. Right. So it was. It was horse and buggy. It was a completely different world. It was a completely different era. There was no social media. There was no internet. You actually did research at the library. You actually had to pay attention during events. It's a different ball game today. Uh, I think it's. I think today is easier in many aspects. I th also think it's more difficult. Um, but I think the problem that I have in today's world, and and I'm a political junkie, and I still follow politics. The problem I have in, in reporting in today's world is that. It has become entertainment. It has become about ratings. It has become about money. And now you've got political reporters that are extremely biased and extremely uh, opinionated and are obviously reporting for one side or the other. Um, you know, back in our day, you know, the early 90s, uh, yeah, you know, we had our political affiliations. We knew the people that we liked. You know, we, we might have even leaned toward them a little bit in our reporting. But for the most part, it was standard, straightforward reporting. And as a beat reporter, which I was, it was very frowned upon to ever have an opinion um, about uh, a political candidate or about um, something that candidate was you know, campaigning on. We were asked to report the facts, to cover a campaign issue, to, to, to do interviews, to ask the hard questions, but we weren't asked to have an opinion. And I believe that led to much better reporting on the subject than, than we get today, because the journalists today... God bless them, under a tremendous amount of pressure to perform so their networks can get ratings and can bring the money in. And they know that there's certain audiences that they're catering to, and they have to report the news the way that that audience wants to see it. And it's a very, very tough job for these guys and girls. Do you miss it at all? Always. Um, I, miss, I miss news. Uh, when there's a presidential campaign happening, which we're going to get into next year. Um, and I miss news when there's the big story. Uh, Cause one of my, one of my jobs at CBS was to be a fireman where they sent me to all kinds of different hotspots around the country or around the world, whether it be Waco or Bosnia or where, wherever. And whenever there's a, whenever a big story happens, um, that's when the juices get flowing again. You know, I don't miss the day-to-day -day mundane news coverage, but when there's a, you know, a big story, I want to be in the middle of it. And I still miss it to this day. And I always say to my wife, I wonder what would have happened if I had, you know, stayed the trail and stayed in news. <laughs> yeah, who knows? It's, 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 yeah. Uh, the Ed Sports Illustrated, the people who did that, we used to call them, they'd parachute into a story. So you'd sort of there for a couple, couple of days or, or a week, and then you'd, yep. you'd parachute to the next one. Um, I always kept a, uh, a go bag in my car because you never knew when you were going to go and how long you'd be gone. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. All right, so to segue back to your world now, I'm talking to you on the Thursday before 
WrestleMania. I wonder if you could, you know, without obviously giving anything away that you can't give away, could you take my audience through like what your Friday is like and what your Saturday is like prior to the the start of the show? You know, I tell people this all the time and they think I'm crazy, but WrestleMania to me is the easiest weekend of the year from a broadcasting standpoint. Now, for the rest of our company, it's insane. I mean, the amount of work that our production team puts into getting SoFi Stadium ready over the last couple of weeks, uh, the amount of preparation that goes into arranging the marching bands and the singers and all the people that are going to participate in the show and all the different um, access programs that we have involved in the community outreach we do. It's an incredible busy time. But for me as an announcer, this is a really calm period um, for me. WrestleMania is one of the shows that I do the least preparation for throughout the year. I'll do, I do more preparation, and I'm not kidding you, Richard. I do more preparation on a normal Friday night SmackDown or, a, or, or another pay-per-view or premium live event, as we call it now, than I do for WrestleMania. Because WrestleMania is such a big show, but it's the culmination of most of the stories that we've covered all year long. Listen, if I don't know the Roman Reigns, Cody Rhodes story or the Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, Uso story by now, uh, then I shouldn't be sitting in that chair at ringside. Um, I've covered these stories. I've talked about these stories. I've debated these stories. I've been involved in these stories. I've called the matches in these stories. So I just go out and I'm loose and I have fun and I let these guys put on a show. And the other thing is too, we don't have to fill as much time as broadcasters for these big events because there's these elaborate entrances. You know, the guy sitting at home doesn't want to hear me talk for five minutes during you know, a special John Cena entrance that they may be doing at WrestleMania. They want to enjoy that, like they're there and a part of it. And then when that ends, then I can start talking as an announcer. I always use the analogy of it's like sitting in a movie and having the guy next to you talk throughout the entire movie. At some point, you turn around and say, can you please shut up so I can enjoy this thing? That's how it is for us as announcers. So you'll hear a lot during WrestleMania of Corey Graves and I will be calling the show with me. We won't say much until the bell rings and then we will start our job. One of the cool, um, one of the cool things that I love about behind the scenes footage of, uh, of WWE is when they'll do, they'll show the performers prior to walking out there. They've done this a lot of WrestleMania, like behind the scenes stuff. And like, it's really fascinating to see the people who are either quiet or the others who are almost like a boxer sometimes. Like they're, they're getting themselves lathered up. I remember when, um, Sting was working for you guys there, like there was a clip of Vince McMahon talking to him before he went on. And then he went into this almost literally was like watching like, uh, Ali or Mike Tyson get himself psyched up before he walks through the ring. Now you're obviously going to be out there prior to all these walkouts, but do you do anything? Let's say in the half hour before you, and Corey, you're going to sit down wherever you're sitting down outside. Like, do you have any, is there anything you do to psych your, I don't, maybe that's the wrong phrase. Is there anything you do mentally to prepare for the next three plus hours of your job? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. I, I, I swear to God, Richard, I spend the last half hour before I go on the air calling my wife, um, calling my grandson, uh, saying goodnight to them or whatnot. Um, going to the bathroom for a vital time <laughs> before I go sit out there. Really, that's what it is. I mean, I have done all my prep work throughout the week um, and tomorrow or, or I'm, I'm so confused on days, but Saturday, yeah, Saturday, right. Uh, I'll get to the stadium, uh, you know, late morning. Uh, I'll sit at ringside throughout the day. Um, I'll talk to the, uh, to the superstars about, about their matches. 
you know, maybe some, you know, little things that they want me to get in about them or about what they're going to do in the match. And that's pretty much it. And I'll drink a cup of coffee and talk to everyone and just relax and get ready for the show. It's, I, I just don't do anything special. I never have. I go out there and do my job. Yeah. All right. So this now proves, Michael, you will not be a good candidate for these behind the scenes of, of vignettes. <laughs> Man, I, I know it's not <laughs> sexy, but it's true, right? I just, <laughs> just what I do. And people always laugh at me because they're like, are you nervous? Yeah. I mean, I think we're all nervous. You're going to walk out there in front of 80,000 people and you're going to talk to millions around the world. So I don't think you, if you're not nervous, then you don't enjoy this. But no, I mean, I just sit down and do my thing. <laughs> I appreciate the transparency. Um, at this point, uh, talking to you on Thursday, do you, and you don't have to tell me like the specifics if you know, but do you know what matches you're calling already? I'm calling the entire show. You're calling so the entire Ray, show. Okay, I so we'll call the entire show both nights. Okay, so then that's not even like that's not even a question. Okay, so we're, we'll hear be hearing you both nights. Okay, I want to ask you about the uh, the bloodline storyline mm-hmm. because, in my opinion. It now can make the argument it's it's in the it's in the conversation for best storylines in professional history. It's all subjective, of course, but I think even if you're being objective, you'd have to include that just given the length of it, uh, the complexity of it, the reaction of the fan base to it. It's been incredible. Um, there's a lot of people who are part of this, but you are one of the signature voices of this. And I wonder, and I think I read somewhere where you had said that like. You know, Roman Reigns should be nominated for an Emmy or Paul Heyman should. I, I actually think that's fair. Like, I, I mean, I don't know if it'll happen, but like, I think there's a good argument to make on that. But I wonder for you, and I know you've been part of a lot of storylines and calling a lot of matches over the years, but it has to make you feel good that that you have you have been a part of the storytelling of one of the best received things in the history of what you do. It's incredible. This story is the best story that I've been involved in for 26 years far none by far for so many different reasons you know when i made that comment about you know this story should win an emmy and i got laughed at by a lot of people and i'll say it again today on your on your show that this story deserves an emmy or at least a nomination you know we're wrestling right we're sports entertainment you know we're a joke to a lot of people within the the hollywood world um, but it's about time that the work that we do in our company is recognized on that level. Uh, we're doing episodic television. We're doing live episodic television, 52 weeks a year. You know, we're not <clears throat> doing a nine episode Last of Us, which now goes on hiatus for a year and a half or two years until they do their next nine episodes. We're doing compelling episodic television every single week. So everyone from <clears throat> Paul Levesque to the people on the creative writing team to the superstars slash actors are involved. They all deserve recognition for this because this has been an incredible story that's been going on for almost three years. Think about that, Richard. Three years. That's 52 weeks a year for three years. We have delivered compelling television that hasn't gotten boring that has had twists and turns that you can put up with against any television show on the planet right now. And people to this day come Sunday night still don't know how this is going to end. They don't. You can make an argument for both Roman Reigns and Cody Rhodes to win that match. on. So we still don't know how it's going to end. And then you look at the players involved. Roman Reigns is operating on a level <clears throat> that I've never seen anyone in the history of the company operate on. From a standpoint of his in-ring work to his acting ability, 
Paul Heyman is, you know, is a first ballot Hall of Famer, not only in our business, but in entertainment in general. Um, the bloodline, Jimmy and Jay Uso, um, have come out of their shells to become two of the best actors uh, in the world today. Uh, Solo Sokoa, the, the new part of the family, is playing the stoic enforcer perfectly. You've, then you've got Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, who've been on the peripheral and now are in the, you know, moving into the main event of this bloodline story. Um, and those guys' careers have just taken off to a new level. So everyone that's involved in this program has played their part to an absolute T. And I don't know how you can do it any better. That's really well said. Um, one more on uh, it's sort of as it relates to this just a little bit. One of um, the times that I have had um, WWE uh, performers on this podcast, one of the questions that I always ask them and I find fascinating is they're so good at being able to morph between answering a question as a performer and then morphing into answering a question where it's about the business. So almost like um, uh, Seth Rollins can morph between Seth Rollins and Colby, I think is his, 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 his first name, if I'm right about that. That's like, that's, it's, 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 no one else has to do this. And it's kind of amazing how they, um, go about this. And one of the things that Seth Rollins told me was that it's, if I'm answering a question about somebody I am in a storyline with or working with, I will I can Seth Rollins it up. If you're asking me about someone who I'm not doing business with per se, then I can comment about them um, separating myself from the character on business, which I just thought was really fascinating. For you, this is my long preamble to ask you this question. On camera, you're of course going to refer to them as their characters. But when you are just interacting with them backstage or when you are might be interacting with them like outside if you're out to dinner or something like that or wherever, how do you how do you approach this? Do you do you call them by their their given birth name? Do you call them by their performer name? How do you navigate that line? So for the most part, 98% of everyone uh, that I work with in the company, I call by their uh, t- uh, their talent name. For a number of reasons, you, you know, you just don't want to slip up on the air and call Seth Colby, right? Um, number one. Number two, I think one of the reasons that I've survived as long as I have here is I have never, with the exception of maybe one or two people, um, I have never become close personal friends with anybody um, in the ring. I've always, I've always kept an arm's length a distance. Now I'm friendly with them. We talk. Um, exchange texts, do whatnot, but I'm not the type of guy that's going to go out for dinner with them. I'm not the type of guy that's going to go sit in the bar with them for the most part. Um, I believe in that. I believe I can't, it's the same thing as being a journalist in a weird sort of way, even though what we do is scripted television, you know, you really have to separate friendship from, from our profession. And um, so for the most part, I'm friendly, but I'm not friends. With the, with the guys I work with, and that's done by design. I almost, I actually, Michael, this is just, again, my like little two-second psychological kind of take here. I almost wonder if your journalism training and the career that you had before this has, absol- has actually guided you in the sort of, in how you have approached all this, like you just said, because in so many ways, as you know, and I know this just from covering sports, you can be friendly with the subjects you cover. You never want to be friends with them because it, once that happens, 
the line is crossed and you can't cover them anymore. And so I wonder if I wonder if it if this informed you of how you've approached this the last twenty six years. One hundred percent. I had an incident when I first started doing news um, out of Houston. I became very very close friends with um, an assistant district attorney there, um, and um, you know we just hit it off. Had a lot of the same hobbies, and I ended up um, taking myself out of the coverage of the court system there uh, because I could not allow that bias. Um, you can you can tell people to your balloon in the face. It's not going to affect your work, but it does. And um, and I think I learned from that incident going forward. And I never allowed myself to become really close friends with the people that that I'm covering or the or the people that I work with. Um, I just you know I I'm a very um, we talked about this earlier before we actually started your your show. I'm a very private person, right? Um, and um, I'm, I'm not a very I don't have that public persona. You're not going to read about me on the dirt sheets. You're not going to um, read about me on social media. Um, you know, I have a, I have a life away from our company and I've, I've had the opportunity t- to be able to separate those things for 26 years. My wife's not a wrestling fan. She doesn't watch the product. My kids aren't wrestling fans. They don't watch the product. I go to work and I do my job and I go home and we talk about the world. Um, and not WWE. And I think that's helped me as a, as a performer uh, and book B has helped my longevity here as well. I think that's, that's, I think that's the smart way to handle it. I have uh, three more sort of uh, air topic areas for you real quick, and then I will let you go. Um, I'm sure you saw the reports on this. Uh, if, you know, if the answer for you is, uh, you know, this is above my pay grade, I'll respect that answer for sure. Um, but it's been floated that there's, um, whether it's WWE or or whether it's sort of just even being thrown out there sort of theoretically, uh, the notion of people being able to bet uh, legally on things like WrestleMania outcomes or um, I don't know if it'll get down to like the week-by-week week kind of SmackDown or Raw stuff, but we'll just use WrestleMania. You know, the notion of you being able to place a bet in some casino um, on WrestleMania – and what the gambling regulators, at least the ones who say we don't think that we would do this, is that we don't know if we if the possibility the the circle might be too big of people who ultimately might know the um, answers to storyline. Do you have any just sort of thoughts on this? Because we have seen um, in recent years you can bet on the Oscars, and so like you know. Uh, whether it's Price Waterhouse or one of these accounting firms, like swears by no one has seen this. That is still um, entertainment. It's not sports. And so the I can understand like the thought process on this because the line sort of has been crossed a little bit once you can bet to me on entertainment. Um, from your perspective, like is this something you would advocate for? Do you think it's possible that the circle would be small enough where people could bet on? Because I saw that like on CNBC and I thought that was a pretty interesting uh, – um, at least it was an interesting theoretical thing to think about. You know why, do you know why I've been in this company for 26 years? Because you know, uh, you're smart enough to know what to answer and what not to is my guess. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Listen, I'm not going to te- touch that with a 10 foot pole and I'm not trying to be elusive here. Uh, the bottom line is this, Richard. Listen, I think you can make an, an argument for both sides. I can see the argument for not allowing betting because there is a large circle um, of people now today that know what's going to happen. I think if you want to get involved in the betting scene, which is obviously great for business, then you obviously have to limit that pool to a very select few. So there's an argument for both sides. I know that's a very elusive. No, uh, we were ta- we've been talking. Yeah. We've been talking about politics throughout this podcast. It's a very <laughs> political way to handle things, right. but uh, it's true. I don't. I really. I don't have a dog in the fight. I don't care either way. I'm going to go out and call a wrestling match 
And that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate I Listen, I even appreciate you addressing that because re- the reality is like that should be a question for uh, for Nick Khan or somebody at that level. So I, I, pre- mm-hmm. I appreciate you uh, you even touching that. All right. Last two. One of the unique uh, parts of your job, Michael, and trust me when I say that uh, Joe Buck, Al Michaels, Kevin Burkhardt aren't having to deal with this, is somebody may be flying in midair like <laughs> five, seven feet to the <laughs> left of you. And you still have to call um, all this stuff. Uh, you know, I don't know if you know it's coming or or if it's or if you don't know it's coming, it doesn't really even matter. The fact is you still have to maintain some kind of composure and you still have to let the audience know what's going on as two dudes are like scrapping it out very, very close to you. Did that take some time to get used to? Because honestly, like if you were just a traditional baseball broadcaster or basketball broadcaster, like this this does not happen in in their world, right? They just focus on what's going on. You got Roman Reigns and maybe Kevin Owens, like literally four, five feet from you, you know, breaking a, a broadcast uh, a table. Richard, I think there's, I think there's a larger answer to that question, and it's one of the things you mentioned before. One of my roles in the company is working with the younger broadcasters that come in and trying to find the next Michael Cole, right? And it's difficult to do because the job that we do is so different from a traditional play-by-play job in any of the other sports that you just mentioned. And what I try to explain to people is this. We are not only play-by-play guys who are trying to call and react to what is happening in front of us, like they would do at the NFL or NBA or whatever. We are also storytellers. We're narrators. We're traffic cops and hosts. And above and beyond all of that, we're really actors. I tell people I'm, I'm a fake announcer for a fake sport with a fake name. Michael Cole's not even my name. So that's what I always tell people because we are actors above and beyond all of this. We are actors and we have to act in the moment. When the undertaker walks by the table, you got to be scared. And when John Cena walks by the table, you stand up and high five them. And when uh, Rick Boogs is playing Shinsuke Nakamura, Pat McAfee gets up on the table and dances. It's all part of entertainment and being active. It's the same thing when, so, so you're dealing with all five of these things at once. Plus, you've got people in your ear, whether it be your producer, your director, your audio guy, listening to one, sometimes two partners. And in the middle of all this, you have a 300-pound man who comes flying across your table when you know it's not going to happen. So um, in the beginning, it was very disconcerting. And that's why I feel for new announcers, guys like a Kevin Patrick, who's getting his feet wet now on Monday Night Raw. It's a thankless job in the beginning because you're just trying to get through. And sometimes when you feel like you're getting through, man, I'm having a great segment. All of a sudden, you know, Roman Reigns comes flying over the table. All your notes go flying. Your phone gets saturated with coffee. Now you're worried about your phone. You don't have any notes in front of you. You've got coffee in your lap. You've fallen back against the barricade. Maybe somebody's fallen on top of you, and but you still have to have your headphones on and continue to call the action because 10 seconds after this, your producer's telling you that you've got to go um, backstage and introduce somebody doing an interview or a graphic to get us to break or whatnot. So it's a wild world, but I wouldn't trade it for anything because that's what makes it fun. I love live television. That's the thing that gets me going. You know, we bitch and moan and complain about our schedule 52 weeks a year, right? Well, when that red light goes on on Friday nights, the world, to me, that's my, that's my calm place. That's where I, okay, I have two hours now where I can be me and I can have fun. And that's what it is. And 
I just think you got to get over those first few years of, holy cow, this has never happened to me before. You know, Kevin Patrick, again, our guy on Raw, he calls soccer. He's up in a booth for a, for soccer, right? <laughs> That's what he does. He's not getting, you know, he's calling, okay, the guy just scored a goal. That's what he's doing. He's not having guys, to your point, falling in his lap and, you know, <laughs> trying to be an actor and trying to be this and that. It's a really difficult job, which, you know, to toot my, my own horn a little bit, I'm very um, happy to have had the opportunity to do this for so long, um, you know, to be here. And, you know, people ask me all the time, how long are you going to do this for? I'll tell you one thing, Richard, um, you know, 30 years would be a really cool goal. That's four years from now. Um, but I can promise you this. I will get out um, before I slip. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not going to be, and no disrespect to anyone else, but I'm not going to be a 75, 80 year old man doing this week in and week out. Um, I've busted my ass, uh, made a real good living, and I want to be able to, you know, get out while the going's good and still be able to enjoy the rest of my life. Um, and I just, I don't want to be a shell of myself. I don't want to be that, my God, like he used to be good. Yeah. He's not good anymore. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be that person. I understand that. I pre And I appreciate that honesty. Uh, last one for me. You just touched on this a little bit. You're you have this role as vice president of announcing, and so like the job is obviously to procure talent, uh, to find who might be the next Michael Cole to 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 place people. Renee Paquette um, has been on this podcast many times. She was, of course, Renee Young um, uh, when she first appeared on this podcast. She is a uh, obviously a. a has only said great things about you. You're very, very big influence for her. I know you guys are friends. She told me that when she first auditioned for WWE, I don't know if it was WWF at the time, WWE, I think WWE, they gave her a broom and she had to basically improv, I think, like talking in a broom for like, this is a famous story, you know, a minute or two minutes or something like that. And it got me thinking when I knew you were going to be on today, um, like how does someone who's a broadcaster who has interest in doing what you do, like how did one, how do you try to get to you and then two, what are you looking for from them to figure out who could be in this business? Because I don't know if it's the same as like the the CBS sports executives that I talk to, who I know what they look for to like call the NCAA tournament. Like you have this very unique kind of different world here. So it's a two-parter. One, um, how does talent get to you? And then two, if you find somebody who might be an interesting talent, like what are you looking for? So I have a team that, so I have a team, uh, there's a couple of people that work uh, underneath me, managers who one of their roles and jobs is to procure, uh, you know, re uh, resumes and, um, and reels, uh, take a look at them because it's not just play by play guys. I'm looking obviously for analysts. I'm also looking for ring announcers and live event hosts. They all fall underneath me. You know, Samantha Irvin, who does SmackDown now, you know, we, you know, she's a, she was a goldmine for us. You know, she did a lot of different things. Um, you know, from uh, America's Got Talent to Broadway to Vegas, you know, and she just happened to be a fan who just sent us a resume one day and she fit what we were looking for. Um, we have we have an idea of what we're looking for. Listen, we want we want especially for the role that I do. We want polished broadcasters. Um, we want someone that uh, sounds good on the air, um, has a genuine working knowledge of, you know, wrestling. Uh, for lack of a better term, sports entertainment, you know, um, they don't have to be a massive fan. In fact, I don't like to hire massive fans. Um, you know, I like to bring people in who have a casual, you know, thought about our product, but are, but are competent broadcasters. And then normally what happens is if they sound good, you know, we 
We'll bring him down to Florida. We'll run, run him through an audition. Um, and then, you know, sometimes we get lucky and we move him down to Orlando and they work out at the performance center. We just hired a gentleman um, a number of months ago who's, who's just started working at the performance center as a broadcaster and we're teaching him the ropes and he's learning how to be a live event host and a ring announcer and a play-by-play guy. And, you know, we'll see how he does. Um, and you're just hoping that one day you find the next person that's going to take over Monday Night Raw one day. Um, you know, I don't really have a formula. I just think that you get a hunch for people and then you hope they work out. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they do. And I'll tell you, you know, guys like uh, Nick Khan, obviously, uh, has been a big influence on how we do things here because of his background as a sports media guru. Um, and so, you know, he's been very instrumental and very um, helpful with me, uh, giving me some advice on how to approach some of these things. Um, you know, the problem that we have, Richard, is, listen, I would love to hire Joe Buck, right? <laughs> I mean, I'd love to hire, you know, uh, you know Kevin Burkhardt. I'd love to hire any of these people. The issue with our job is the fact that it's 52 weeks a year. And if you're going to become the voice of Monday Night Raw, you need to give, give me a commitment that you're going to do this at least 50 of those 52 weeks. And it's very difficult, especially these guys that have seasonal jobs. You know, they'll work a, you know, what amounts to be 20 weeks of the NFL season. And then some of them go away for a couple of months, or maybe they take two months off and go do baseball or whatever. But they're not working 52 straight weeks a year. Or if they do the baseball season, they're on the road for six months and then they're off for six months, right? So that's really been for us the most difficult thing that we've been able is, is trying to get people to come in and work every single week. I don't think a lot of people think uh, think about that, but they should. It's probably one of the most grueling broadcasting jobs you can have because you must be there. The show is going on. Well, and you also, and it's the travel too. I mean, you're, you're always leaving on Sunday, going around the world to work Monday to come home on Tuesday, right? And um, it's, it's tough, which, you know, I've, I've missed two television shows in 26 years. <laughs> People think I'm insane, and, but I guess it's just to the point where, you know, that was my work ethic coming from news. And, it, and it's hard to find people that want that. Are, and they're, believe me, they're out there. There are people that would love to come in and do this job and would give you every single week. Vic Joseph, who does our NXT shows, is he's such a soldier. Like he doesn't miss television. He's there every single week. Doesn't matter what's going on in the world. But guys like Vic, guys like myself, very few and far between. Michael Cole has been one of the signature voices of WWE for multiple decades now, since 1997. Uh, as he said on this podcast, uh, he and Corey Graves will have both nights, um, Saturday and Sunday, for WrestleMania 39 from SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. Uh, 8 p.m. on April 1st, 8 p.m. on April 2nd. That's Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific. You can watch it on Peacock. Obviously, watch it on the WWE Network elsewhere. And uh, the Bloodline storyline has been incredible. And obviously, um, you know, it's going to culminate with Roman Reigns and Cody Rhodes. But uh, you'll also get uh, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens and Jane Jimmy Uso. So, like, the WrestleMania is always really, really interesting and fun to watch. But this year in particular, it really has a lot of juice because, as Michael and I talked about it, it's literally one of the best, if not the best, storyline in the history of the uh, uh, of the entire company. Michael, you're very, very good to do this. I know you don't do a lot of these, uh, but I always enjoy it when you do. Um, have a great uh, have a great show, and thanks so much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Michael Cole for giving me a lot of time. Um, again, it is a busy time for Michael Cole, so very good of him to make some time for this. Um, 
previous podcasts this week. We have uh, Holly Rowe, of course, the great ESPN uh, sideline reporter slash analyst on uh, on many different things and uh, re-signing with ESPN for a long time. So good, uh, good on that company to do that. ESPN investigative reporters Nicole Noren and TJ Quinn were on this podcast to discuss their four years of reporting on um, Lauren McCluskey, the University of Utah athlete who was murdered. Joe Davis, the voice of Fox Sports MLB, and Britt Chihorley of The Athletic, my colleague uh, on here to talk about the WBC in baseball, had Kevin, Ar- Kevin Harlan on here not too long ago to talk about his work, um, the Aaron Rodgers impact on NFL viewership with uh, some regulars, Chad Finn and Austin Carp. Head to the archives. There should be conversations that you will appreciate. As always, if you leave us a five-star review and a nice note, that is how this podcast continues. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for his hard work, particularly this week, putting, putting out a ton of podcasts. Thank you, Patrick. And thanks to everybody at uh, Cadence 13. We will see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.